On this prequel episode, we've got our Princess Bride fan poll follow-up. We're learning about dystopian fiction and previewing The Hunger Games. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. It's the prequel before the first episode of our 2021 summer series which is the Hunger Games. It's not a secret anymore. So <laughs> we announced this quite a while ago at this point. Um, and we'll be talking a little bit more about the Hunger Games here in just a few minutes. But first, we have our normal segments to get to before that, including our patron shout outs. We have one new patron this week. Not a new patron, but they are upgrading. So they get a shout out just the same. And that patron is upgrading to fund brian's prop fetish upgrading from the hugo award winner level at five dollars to the 15 dollars academy award winning level so thank you upgrading to fund brian's prop fetish i'll buy a prop with it (laughs) with that ten (laughs) dollars if you stick around for a few months i'll make sure i'll I'll put aside whatever that that 15 bucks for each month (laughs) and i'll buy something and i'll post it on our social media or I'll make something. Buy something cool. Yeah, I'll buy a cool prop. Or maybe I can get something from the Hunger Games. Ooh. I don't know if there's a prop from the Hunger Games that we're, I really like. Already I already have, have a pen. Yeah, somewhere. we already have a pen. I have the pen, you actually. It. It's, it's on a, I got it yeah. in a in a loot crate years yeah. ago. Um, I don't... I probably even have something. I'm trying to think. I, it's been so long since I read the books. I don't remember. Obviously, like, her bow. Yeah. But I have a bow. We have bows now, but I, it's not... I don't know what hers looks like. I don't know if it's I don't I don't think her bow is like a particularly um distinct yeah. prop. I don't you know, it's not like a particularly unique prop. But I could be wrong. Maybe it is. I never saw the later movies, so maybe the later <laughs> movies she gets like a super cool bow. I don't I don't know. Anyways, we appreciate it. Uh now let's go ahead and thank our Academy Award winning patrons. Uh as we do every other week, those that support us for $15 or more over on patreon.com slash this film is lit. And they are joining the ranks, as we just mentioned, upgrading to fund Brian's prop fetish, Ben Wilcox. Jeff Niederhofer, Winchester's Forever, Kelly Napier, Gray Hightower, Eli Young's Gratch, Just Gratch, Shelby Says Black Lives and Trans Lives Matter, This Film is Lit is my favorite pod, I Gotta Change This Before OA Records, and Alina Deletkalova. Thank you all so very much. I hope you don't change it (laughs) before OA Records, and they read that and they feel bad. Suck it, opening arguments, (laughs) starting a podcast feud. Uh, No. Anyways, uh, I am a big fan of opening arguments. I I listen every week. I don't want to start a feud with them. They're smarter than me. Yeah, a lawyer. uh, They have a Harvard educated. He's also a good, bad, or bad, bad lawyer. So, I mean, I say that. (laughs) He's on retainer as our, he did all of our paperwork and stuff when we created Good Bad Media. Um, Fantastic podcast. If you want uh, the legal breakdown of uh, the current events that are going on, you can check out Opening Arguments. They're much larger podcasts. They don't need a shout out from us. But <laughs> either way, <laughs> highly recommend. Um, they're a little libby, but I enjoy them nonetheless. <laughs> I am also a little libby, so we'll just leave it at that. Uh, let's go ahead now and see what everybody had to say about The Princess Bride Revisited. Yeah, well... You know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. 
All right. So just for transparency's sake, I did cut down a couple comments because yes. some of the ones that we got were fairly long. Um, but I think I do have at least something from everybody who commented. So on Patreon, this is our first time posting a poll there. We didn't have any comments, but we did get four votes for the movie and zero for the book. Yep. On Facebook, we had three votes for the movie and two for the book. Ian said, the changes make sense from the book to the film, especially with the actors they cast. I can't quite see Wallace Shawn cutting his palm open, staring her dead eyes straight. That's something Danny DeVito might do. Super, super glad they left out the spiders. Screaming tarantulas make my spine freeze. I don't disagree that I don't I don't think that Vizzini slicing himself. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I could still maybe see it. Maybe. 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 But not not quite as much. But I, th- yeah, I think it's a harder sell. Yeah, it doesn't fit it with his character other as actors, much. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, and I did. Oh, yeah. Like I said, I also. Yeah. No, no, thank you on the spiders. I mean, they're terrifying and it would have been <laughs> creepy and cool, but also no, thank you. I mean, given like like the kind of visual direction of the movie, they might have just been kind of silly. Yeah, they might have been like but... fu- like fuzzy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the R.O.U.S.'s except spiders. That could have been fun. They might not have been. It would have looked like the, the, the giant one that Jenny Nicholson got. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, the, like, oh, yeah. stuffed spider. Yeah. And Charlene said, they're both great in their own ways. The best parts of the book just wouldn't work in a movie, so the movie is better without them, but the book is better for having them. I feel like the book doesn't get enough love, so I'll give it a vote here, but it's so hard to compare. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is, like, the interesting thing about this particular adaptation is that she's exactly right. The stuff that they cut from the book is really good in the book, Mm -hmm. but it wouldn't work in the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. No, yeah, it is It is one of those sort of spot-on adaptations that does a really good job of adding, adding, yeah, editing, yeah. <laughs> adding what needs to be added, editing what needs to be edited out um, for film. And it makes sense because William Goldman is a screenwriter. Yes. As well as a novelist. So he understands both mediums in a way that... Um, that allows him to make that translation. Yeah, he's kind of uniquely positioned to yeah. understand both. Yeah, whereas some 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 authors that also adapt their books to the to film don't have that same sort mm-hmm. of understanding of of uh, of writing a screenplay. So it's a little bit tougher, for sure. On Twitter, we had eleven votes for the movie and zero for the book. Kelly Napier said. The script is just so tight in the movie. Not a wasted moment, not a lost line anywhere. So I'm picking the movie. The book is too rambling for me. That was a recurring theme in our notes. Yeah. Not that it was rambly necessarily in the book, but that it's just the movie is is so exquisitely paced and mm-hmm. edited. Uh, not even edited. Um, it's very I, edited very in tight. the terms of like from the book, you know, cutting dialogue down to to the, the most important lines, the most memorable moments. Yeah. Yeah. Shelby Suderman said, I think what makes the teeter-totter sword fight and pirates work better is there's an element of cartoon logic that that's just what they would do. In the scene in Princess Bride, they could have just jumped and swung across, but instead they paused to be acrobats for 10 seconds. Yeah, that's true. And to be fair, I think I did mention, I could be wrong about this, the first time we did this episode, I think I mentioned that 
it doesn't bother me as much that Inigo jumps and just kind of swings and lands. Mm-hmm. It's the it's it's Wes, it's Wesley doing like flips that bothers me. Yeah, like that annoys me. Um, and I I do agree that even though it's a little silly and cartoony in um, Pirates when they get on that thing, it just sort of happens and then they just kind of go with it. It's it's not right. something they're going out of their way to do. Like yeah. from my memory, it's been a while since I watched that scene. But they like end up on it and then like it rolls off the blocks it's on or whatever, and now they're just balancing on it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it, it's not like they intentionally start fighting on on it. Like you know, what I, yeah. at least from yeah, my memory yeah, I know again. What you mean. Yeah, it's not. It's it's and that's what Shelby's saying. So yeah, I agree. And Matt Nelson, large cartoonist at large, said. Though I love the book, much like Goldman's adaptation of the S. Morgenstern text, I think Goldman's film script is the good parts version of his own book. Yes. Yeah, I would agree with that. Which is funny. We I don't know if you mentioned this. Did we talk I about this on the podcast? Yeah. I tried to borrow the audio book mm-hmm. of The Princess Bride from my library. Well, I did borrow it. Um, and I had looked at it when I was like getting on the hold list and it said it was only three hours long. Yeah, and we're like, man, and I was like, that's speed reading it. Weird. Because <laughs> it's not a long book, it's but right. it's still. It's, it's not a super long book, but it's still 300 like. 300 pages or something. Yeah, it's it's more than three hours <laughs> yeah. worth of text. But I was like, oh, well, I, I mean, I guess I'll see. Yeah. And then I got it and it didn't start in the same place that the book started. And I was like, what is happening? And then I was like looking at it and like looking and looking. And I finally realized that the audiobook was the good parts version of the story. Yes. Which I take to mean that it was probably only the stuff Basically that happened the, in the movie. The movie parts. Which yeah. kind of defeats the purpose yes. of what we I were thought, doing. I thought that was very interesting. While I enjoy, I mean, I guess there's, you could still have a version that, I thought it was really interesting that the audiobook would would do that that there yeah. would be an audiobook version like that because it seems like the whole point of reading the book would be to get the extra stuff that wasn't in the movie or at Wait, least one of the whole points like for something like the princess yes. bride where the movie is so universally known yeah. like I would think that somebody coming into that like oh I didn't know this was a oh, book yeah. or I've never read the book oh, would I'll want check out to the know audiobook. Yeah. what's in it that's not in the movie yeah and I'm sure think. there's still at least a little bit of that clearly there's at least some of it because it's right. three hours as opposed to an hour and a half but still it's it's just very it's interesting to me that they would cut any of it for the audiobook yeah. there probably is an audiobook version probably that is the whole thing um and you just happen to get an abridged one or whatever but yeah but it was the only one that my library system okay. had so I guess they just didn't have an unabridged version I, yeah I have to imagine there's a full version of the I audiobook. would think Anyways, on Instagram, we had 17 votes for the movie and one for the book. Jedian9, Jedian, Jedian, it's a good that. name. Jedian, I like it. It's a fun name. Jedian9 said, This one is difficult because I really do love them both, and I actually think the book is funnier. Hmm. But the movie wins out solely due to the perfect cast, the quaint set pieces, the cheesy music, and tiny Fred Savage. It is truly a classic in all senses of the word, and I think it will be a classic until the end of time. Tiny Fred Savage. <laughs> Wonder Years He's Fred pretty Savage. tiny. This is before Wonder Years, I think. Yeah. I think we I talked know, about that. Sure. I think it's like a year before Wonder Years or something. Mm-hmm. I think I read that and just didn't make a note of it. I think it's like right before Wonder Years. Yeah. Yeah. He does look quite small sitting in his bed. Yeah. 
Mike Prevet 2019 said, The movie is wonderful, but the book is better. Reiner's staging and pacing wow. is stiff, leaden at times, but luckily Goldman's script and the actors give the movie some life. And it pains me to say it, but Mark Knopfler's score is one of the worst ever. A nice main theme, but the picture needs a lively lyrical score to support it, but instead has the cheesy, weak synth noodling. Okay. <laughs> I assume when they say one of the worst ever, they mean for Mark Knopfler, who has scored quite a few films, um, and not just period. <laughs> I would think so. I disagree with most of this. Um, first off, uh, the staging, I don't disagree. It's one of the things is it's very, it's definitely a movie of its time in terms of cinematography and uh, and staging and that sort mm -hmm. of thing. And just it's not a particularly gorgeous film in that regard. At times, there are moments that work really well. But overall, it's not like this stunning masterpiece of cinematography. Right. Uh, but I don't think it, it didn't need to be and it wasn't trying it like it's not fooling itself thinking it, it is or anything like that. Um, I could not possibly agree more with the 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 disagree. pacing being or sorry. I could not possibly disagree more with the comment of the pacing being stiff and leaden because this movie as we discussed is to me paced so masterfully and it mm -hmm. moves so well and we we get everything we need like we have the whole the first what is it like several d dozens of pages in the book if like close to first hundred pages is like the first five minutes in the movie and yeah. it works just as well as the yes. first hundred yeah. pages of the in my opinion yeah, it, it works, works beautifully works beautifully in in five minutes it does what the book does in almost a hundred i don't know how many pages it is but something like that uh and so to me that I find that kind of interesting. And I also, while the score is a little cheesy, I do agree that the score isn't as, isn't the strong. I like lots of elements of the score. Mm -hmm. It's not as like, I personally, I think like the pipes of the Caribbean score is better. Mm -hmm. Like a overall score. Like yeah. it's, a, it's just a more well, yeah, it, it's impressive not, it's overall not a score. big, like sweeping score. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't have like the, the, like the pirates theme is better than the theme in this, but the, and and they they at least they did acknowledge that the main theme is is strong. It's nice, um, which is the one everybody remembers anyways. Ba -na 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 -na. Yeah, that part. Um, and there is a little the synthiness of it. I can see it. It, it would be it's better. Of its time. It's of its time. I would. It, I would be really. It'd be really cool to watch this movie. And I'm sure it gets done with a full live orchestra, like mm -hmm. they do, like you know, Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and all that stuff, where they have like you, you watch the movie right. and then an orchestra does the score live. That would be really cool. Um, to actually hear the whole yeah, score Yeah, I would done. like to to experience that. I think that would and be And not have the synthy elements of it and just have it orchestrated fully would be cool. So I don't entirely disagree with that part with the score necessarily, but I still like the score a lot. Um, so. I, I, I disagree with the pacing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's the one I have the biggest, like, I, that's, <laughs> I, I, like I said, it's almost the polar opposite opinion for me, but. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I see what they're saying about the staging and the score but similar to what i talked about with like the set pieces yeah i think it kind of adds to its charm i agree 
Yes. Um, so sorry, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate your input. No, and it's cool that you actually you went to bat for the book. Yeah. Uh, and had and 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 provided a differing opinion. And I don't like I said I didn't entirely disagree. I think some of those some of your points I actually do agree with, but it's. We, we like when people disagree yes, with it's us. It's super fun. It's much. It's, it's very interesting. It's I don't want to say more interesting. No, I funny. like reading everybody else's <laughs> comments. Too. Yeah, but it, it is always interesting when somebody disagrees with us and goes to bat for the other. Yeah, medium. And, and actually put and actually lays out their points and yeah. not just like oh the movie's dumb or something like yeah. that's that's not anything interesting. That's this is at least a well thought out and interesting comment. So appreciate it, Tracy D. 1225 said, I read the book for the first time and I have seen the movie so many times. I think the movie does a great job at trimming things from the book. The movie is such a classic and is a great adaptation. I was happy that a lot of my favorite lines were in the book, though not a fan of Wesley slapping Buttercup. That was off-putting to say the least. To say the least. Yes. Yeah. And our final comment, the leap underscore 77 said i love goldman's book the sarcasm the abridged style that was so rampant in books when i was growing up and the eclectic nature of the prose but i think his vision is better suited for the silver screen and through a mixture of finding young and experienced talent creating a sweet and quotable movie for the ages come on was it really a question there you go i would tend to agree fantastic thank you all so much for all those lovely comments um and for listening and and providing feedback and voting, which Katie, I think it's pretty obvious if people were <laughs> doing the mental math yeah. as we went. But what was the final score on this one? So the book got absolutely trounced mm -hmm. with three votes to the movie's 35. There you go. Pretty solid destruction uh, <laughs> overall. I, I thought uh, The NeverEnding Story Part 2 was brutal, but yeah. this one I really takes the cake which is funny because this is one where neither of them are bad yeah you know like yeah. with the never ending story part two like the the movie is not particularly good so it makes sense this one it's a little you would think it would be tougher but the mm -hmm. movie is just yeah and i i didn't think it would like i i i knew the movie was gonna win right. out but i didn't think it would be by this wide of a maybe margin quite, yeah, maybe really not didn't. quite so much I, I actually thought it would be pretty close to that I, I was like it's gonna be 10 to 1 easy mm -hmm. like in that ballpark would 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 make sense to me but cool all right thank you all again so much for commenting and following us on social media so that we can get that feedback and discuss it on these episodes now it is time to learn a little bit about dystopian fiction no matter what anybody tells you words and ideas can change the world Dystopian fiction is a genre of speculative fiction that explores social and political structures. It's like the textbook definition of it. Uh, dystopian fiction offers a portrayal of a society that is characterized by a focus that is contrary to the author's ethos, whatever the author thinks is good. Okay. Um, often characterized by elements like mass poverty, public mistrust and suspicion, a police state, oppression. Uh, common elements of dystopian fiction include societies engaged in forever wars and characterized by extreme social and economic class divides, mass poverty, environmental devastation, anarchy, uh, and extreme social control, 
corporate, religious, technological, bureaucratic, reproductive, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, for example, on that last kind of point, um, Orwell's 1984 illustrates extreme social control, while McCarthy's The Road explores anarchy. Um, some dystopian worlds do have elements of both. And you're using anarchy in a more colloquial sense here, as opposed to the more... There is like there are I, I just don't we may get letters from there there may be anarchists <laughs> who listen to anarchy is an actual political movement that has right tenets and er, elements to it that are not quite as simplistic as like the colloquial understanding of quote unquote anarchy and and what that means I just wanted to clarify no in case. yeah anarchy more in the sense of like a lack of social structure yes like a complete yeah. disillusion of any sort of yeah society societal structure which. Yeah. Anarchists, modern anarchists, I don't think necessarily fall into that camp. I don't know enough about it to comment <laughs> necessarily. I just wanted to well, clarify. If we have any anarchists listening, we're not coming for you. Yes, I just wanted to clarify. <laughs> we're just talking about a lack of social, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Cohesion? Cohesion, social um, structure. Social structure. Yeah, any of that stuff. Uh, um, something like the road or, you know, take your pick of like zombie dystopias yeah. where everything just falls apart and there's there's like no seemingly no and, and it, it depends on your because because i was gonna say mad max and then i thought about it and i'd say that maybe doesn't count because that's almost at least from like something like fury road is more of like a feudalistic type almost um i feel like organization of the i feel like mad max you could almost say is something that has elements of both yeah because I, I think there is definitely more of an element of like a feudalistic like socially controlled system yeah um but there's also elements of like a lack of that yeah like where you're just like out in the wilds it's a little it's yeah it's anyways i just again (laughs) i just wanted to make that note Uh, most authors of dystopian fiction explore at least one reason why things are that way, often as an analogy for similar issues in the real world, so these stories can also be read as political warnings or cautionary tales. And dystopian fiction emerged as a response to utopian fiction. Um, utopian fiction portrays a setting that agrees with the author's ethos, um, having various attributes of another reality that's intended to appeal to readers, first used in direct context by Sir Thomas More in his 1516 work, Utopia. Um, The word utopia resembles the Greek words for both good place and no place, which is a reference to the idea that no such place could actually exist. No such thing as a utopia. Real quick, you said dystopian fiction emerges <clears throat> and as a response to utopian fiction. I wonder how, I guess it depends on how specifically you categorize those things. And I know you're going to get into that a little, at least a little bit more here in a second. But because, so like I would categorize, and I just did a quick glance to see that you didn't have this. Well, I, I don't have it because I couldn't find a lot about it because it is kind of a... No, I meant have this specific thing I'm thinking of, which would be very old dystopian fiction. Okay, go ahead. Exodus. Does that uh, not specifically... Yeah. I mean, that to me, it ticks most of the boxes of what would be considered dystopian fiction. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and even even, even if even, uh, to somebody who's a Christian, I would... I, 
it, it's something that hasn't happened. You know what I mean? So it, it's still like proje- it's you know even mm-hmm. if you don't view the Bible as fiction, um, it's still something that I, I think the Exodus itself would be kind of considered fiction, at least if not prophetic fiction, I, whatever. Um, and so I wonder like how far you can go back and say, okay, this is the first piece of right utopian fiction versus well, I think we, we maybe fiction. and the part of the reason that i didn't go more into like the history of it mm-hmm. is because it, it it's nebulous yes so it's hard to like like well what do we categorize as dystopian specifically but we definitely see examples that we would consider like recognizable as quote unquote modern dystopian fiction following the advent of utopian fiction um but i I agree and i think it's a a similar issue that we had with when we talked about spy fiction i said exodus by the way i didn't mean exodus i meant um i just brainwave or brain uh what's the last book um it's not revelations Revelations. my bad i (laughs) i'm realizing now people are gonna be like exodus i don't yeah, yeah sorry Revelation. I didn't even like. I didn't even miss a beat because the first thing I thought was like the plagues on the, Egypt, and I that was also like, yeah, I guess, guess. kind of makes sense. But that was also supposed to be a historical, like at the time it was written, that was mm-hmm. recounting right events. Yeah, it was Whereas recounting events. I'm sorry. Yes, Revelation, Revelation being dystopian. Yeah, that I, I think you could make an argument for it. Yeah, sorry. Um, but but it's yeah, gonna be real uh, confusing to people for a second <laughs> until we get to this part where I clarify. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's just a similar issue of like, well, what do you actually categorize as this genre? And I, I think for our purposes and offering like a brief overview of what this is, I generally choose mm-hmm. to focus on like, okay, this is something that we're going to recognize right. as fitting with what we think of as that genre now. Yeah. No, that's fair. I just thought it was interesting because I was thinking about it. I was like, I wonder what the first is. I was like, well, Revelations seems like it would be <laughs> fit, in, like, fit into most of the categories. I'm sure you could find a lot of examples in um, various mythologies. Yes, and like, I'm sure I, it my, goes back yeah. even further than that. But, I mean, probably. most mythologies have stories about... I mean, there's revelations in the Bible. And, there's yeah. uh, Ragnarok yes. in Norse yeah. mythology, yeah, um, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, the end days. Right. Which are, which are which are similar. Which which are probably the precursors to what we would consider modern dystopian. I I don't think it's too far off. Yeah. Um. I I think a dystopia more specifically focuses on um commenta- commenting on current issues yeah whereas i can't say for sure if any of the older stuff was commenting on current issues yeah i don't know i don't know i don't know either yeah i don't know this is interesting i'm sure there's writing on I'm, on, yeah. on, ex, on <laughs> revelation sure as dystopian this. fiction i'm sure there's and if there's not get after it <laughs> academics yeah Sometimes works will combine elements of dystopias and utopias. Um, That's part of the reason that I wanted to bring up utopias, because these two um, kind of opposites go hand in hand, right? They're like mirror images of each other. Um, So we might have a story that has an observer from our world journey to another place or time and maybe see one society that the author considers ideal and another representing the worst possible outcome, as in H.G. Wells' The Time Machine. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, another model might be having a utopia be invaded by a dystopian society, as in Aldous Huxley's Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, another literary model, um, the imagined society might journey between elements of utopia and dystopia over the course of the novel or the film. Lois Lowry's The Giver portrays a society that presents as utopian only for the curtain to drop and the dystopian underpinnings to be revealed. I was going to ask if that, that seems like a specific own niche genre of dystopian fiction mm-hmm. where it's, where it's like, surprise, this <laughs> utopia is actually a dystopia. Have like that's a very yeah. common. Have you ever read The Giver? Uh, No, I have not actually. Mm, creepy as fuck. Yeah. Um, I heard the movie was not very good. Someday yeah. we'll have to it's do that. It's got Jeff Bridges in it. It also has Taylor Swift in it. Does it? I think so. She didn't just like do a song hearing for it? about that. <laughs> All right. Dystopian fiction most frequently takes place in our world in the near future, but it doesn't necessarily have to. Mm-hmm. Now, the important thing with dystopian fiction is the message. Of dystopian fiction, Margaret Atwood, author of The Handmaid's Tale, says, while not all... What does she know about it? Sorry. I mean, The Handmaid's Tale, one of several dystopias that she wrote. Uh, While not all allegories are dystopias, dystopias are almost always allegories. Allegories are stories that comment on and criticize contemporary events, Mm -hmm. people, policies, etc. The purpose of dystopian fiction as allegory is to serve as a warning about how things could go wrong if we don't change. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yeah. I thought it might be fun for us to give a few of our favorite dystopian mm-hmm. properties. Yep. Um, I really like The Power. I have not read it. Naomi Alderman. I've been I wanting to read it. Loved that book. Yeah. Highly um, recommend. They did an episode of it on uh, Philosophers in Space. Really good episode. And they had, um, like, did they have? No. Anyways, they did a really good episode on Philosophers in Space about the power. Mm-hmm. You can go check that out. But yeah, I've heard it's great. I, I have wanted to read it and never never got around to it yet. I also really like The Lorax by Dr. Seuss. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brave New World by Aldous Huxley is one of my favorites. Uh, way better than 1984, in my opinion. Come at me, Orwell stands. <laughs> uh, Mad Max Fury Road, I really enjoy. Uh, Firefly, Dark Matter. Mm-hmm. I also really liked The Walking Dead up to a certain point. Uh, the the TV show, I never read any of the comics. Yeah. And I would also argue that Avatar The Last Airbender has some qualities of dystopian fiction, uh, most notably in its portrayal of the Earth Kingdom, yeah. which is a little yeah. more like on the nose, but also in the idea of the forever war. Yeah, the forever war and... and there's a lot of like propagandizing throughout that show. It really explores that kind of element. Of, well, and and the air war. the air kingdom is like this long lost destroyed. Yeah. You know, like it angst. Got, yeah, it got wiped off, got the, wiped face off the, the face of the earth by the forever war. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't disagree. I think it's yeah. So some of my favorites definitely tie in. I I really enjoyed Brave New World when you had me read that. It's one of those books I for however. However, I did it, avoided reading in <laughs> high school or college or anything. Uh, but I really enjoyed that. Uh, Mad Max was one of the first ones. Uh, Fury Road specifically was one of the first ones that jumped to my mind uh, to the top of my list. Uh, I also had Firefly. Dark Matter, I didn't. Con- I mean, I guess it is. I just didn't think about it in that regard. It's mm-hmm. just, to me, it was just more generic sci fi. But you're right. It totally fits. Um, 
I don't think I'd put Walking Dead on my list, even though I did enjoy <laughs> it for a while. The other ones I had uh, were Children of Men, which is a fantastic film. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I think it holds up still, but I saw it several times around the time it came out. And it's I don't think it's based on a book, so we may just have to watch it sometime. Mm-hmm. I don't think we could do it for the podcast. Uh, but I could be wrong. It might be. I don't I don't actually know. Uh, but Children of Men, really good. It's about a dystopian future where uh, nobody has babies anymore. Mm-hmm. And spoiler, they find somebody who's having a baby and it's about everybody, that. Everybody, everybody loses trying their to, minds. Yeah, mm-hmm. kind of. Um, but it's really, 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 well, what incredible film. It has some fantastic cinematography and, and just crazy action sequences um, and set pieces. Super cool. Uh, another one that I'm, was probably the top of my list is Snowpiercer. I thought the movie. you might have that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I haven't seen the show. I've heard the show's good. I just haven't watched it. Uh, but this, I love the movie. Uh, I think it's fantastic. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a little on the nose compared to some of these things, which are all, all of them aren't. None of them are like particularly super subtle. Mm-hmm. But Snowpiercer in particular is like <laughs> really on the nose with its. Uh, <laughs> symbolism of the everybody on the train you mean literally climbing the social yeah. ladder <laughs> yeah 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 fighting through the uh, the the different levels of society yeah it, it's i mean it's on those but i do really enjoy it uh, chris evans is great in it and it's a super fun action movie that also has a lot of cool sort of social commentary uh, and then the last one i just thought about and added um was uh, a video game uh well two video games the bioshock series uh, Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite are the two I've played. I think there's there's like a there's some other middle one or something that I never played, but th- those are the two main ones, and they both take place. They're both based on, uh, uh, or at least the first one specifically is based on Atlas Shrugged a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's about a society. You end up in the the first one. You end up in this underwater society that split off and went to go form their perfect. Uh, ANCAP, like, libertarian Hmm. utopia, Hmm. and then it descended into chaos, and you're there after everything has kind of been destroyed. Cool, cool, cool. And then very similarly (laughs) in the the sequel, Bioshock Infinite, it's a city that takes place up, or that is, uh, it's like a sky city. Mm -hmm. It's like a flying sky city. And in that one, uh, it's about, boy, it's been a while since I played it, but the, the, the society up there, like, warships the... Um, the founding fathers as like gods is like mythical God mm. figures. It's also very similar, like criticizing, commenting on like right wing. Yeah. Ideal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, both really, really good games. Uh, at least again, it's been years since I played them. I don't know how, if the story holds up perfectly, but I enjoyed them at the time and they, they have a lot to say about. Um, and the ending of Bioshock infinite is real trippy and cool. Uh, it, it it brings in some interesting like sci-fi almost elements into it and like metaphysical. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to spoil it because it's super cool. But uh, those are both dystopian video games that are there. And there's a million dystopian. The Mad Max video game is actually pretty fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they made one around the time Met, uh, Fury Road came out. Uh, but yeah, anyways. Oh, you know, another really cool uh, dystopian video game I just thought of. I didn't play a ton of it, but I played it for a while. It's called, and I don't even know if it's necessarily dystopian, but I think it counts. The ones we, oh no. Um, it's about, oh gosh, what is it called? It's a <laughs> war, you're, there's a, you're in a war-torn 
like post-apocalyptic war-torn country and it's it's like a survival game where you're like in a it's a 2d game and you're in a house oh the oh, there's the little ones is the sequel what is it called this war of mine is what it's called and you're just in a, like a, a bombed out house in a bombed out war-torn city and it's all people trying to survive and it's like you you like go out every night and try to like scrounge for supplies and then mm-hmm. you occasionally will run into other people and have to fight them and it's just this really bleak terrible like you you ultimately just die eventually because it's like impossible to survive and that's kind of the point but it's this weird bleak um commentary on war and, and never ending like the, the the destruction that has taken place because of this war that happened and it's really it's really good fun i say fun it's an interesting video game if you like like survival and like collecting games and that sort of stuff where you have to like build up your base i would recommend checking out this war of mine it's on ps4 it was free for a while i got it for free and but it's on i think most most systems anyways that was my list sorry <laughs> I rambled on when I thought of another one. <laughs> I want to go back real quick to what you said about dark matter, um, that you didn't think of it as dystopian and just more generically as sci-fi. Because I want, I just want to point I, out. It's possible that I may be miss. I may have forgotten the impetus of the story. But go ahead. I just want to point out that there is a ton of overlap. Okay. Like a lot of dystopian fiction is essentially sci-fi fair because it's speculative yes and sci-fi is nothing if not speculative um and a a lot of dystopian fiction you know within the last century or so has been based on technology yeah i think it is fair because it's very similar to firefly from my memory in the Mm -hmm. sense of like the reason I think Firefly would would qualify is we have there was the civil war and and now essentially a a fascistic um government now controls the most yeah. of the of the galaxy or whatever and uh and so the, so I would think it I would agree that it t- kind of exists within a, a dystopian framework and I think from my memory dark matter is similar I guess in my head I, I wasn't thinking dark matter in of dark matter in that way because the primary story we're confronted with in dark matter is like the mystery of like who they are and right. like I'm not I wasn't considering so much like the I universe it takes place definitely in some less dystopian yeah than some other examples but yeah, I think when you uh, when you think about like the universe that it takes place in, um, and some of the like subplot elements, like there's the subplot with um, two, I think, where she's like a yes, um, she's like she's a, a like a, a weapon. Yeah, she's like a bioengineered weapon who's yeah. trying to like achieve her independence, right? Um, and like separate herself from her creator. No, it definitely. I think it's definitely fair. I think it. I think it does work. It's just funny because, like I said, I just didn't think of it. Now we should rewatch Dark Matter. Yeah, okay. we should. It's been a while, and I don't remember like much about it. <laughs> <laughs> and we have sci-fi. We have the sci-fi app, so we can do that now. It was also on Netflix for a while. I don't know. It's probably on the sci-fi app now. Anyways, cool. All right. So we want to know what are some of your favorite dystopian properties. Yeah. Uh, let us know on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Patreon, if you follow us there. Yeah. Wherever. Comment on this uh, this episode's post. Tell us your favorite dystopian fiction that we didn't mention, because there's a, a billion of them. And, yes. Uh, yeah, we, we didn't even scratch the surface. No, there were uh, four different 
sub lists on Wikipedia that I like kind of scrolled through and I was like half the stuff on them. I was like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have even thought of that. Like the Lego movie. Yeah. But it is. Yeah. No. Yeah. For sure is. Absolutely. I was you know, like, I was astonished before I read the, the second movie had to say <laughs> before I read the second and third one, I, I would probably have put Hunger Games on on my list <laughs> and we'll see. I may yeah, add it may, back maybe. once we once we finish it this time. I may uh, that may change. All right. Speaking of the Hunger Games, it's time to find out a little bit about the Hunger Games, the novel. Welcome, welcome. The time has come to select one courageous young man and woman for the honor of representing District 12 in the 74th annual Hunger Games. It's your first year, Prim. Your name's only been in there once. They're not going to pick you. The Hunger Games is a 2008 dystopian young adult novel by American writer Suzanne Collins. The novel is the first in the Hunger Games trilogy, followed by Catching Fire in 2009 and Mockingjay in 2010. After an initial print of 200,000, the book had sold 800,000 copies by February of 2010, not too shabby. Uh, since its release, The Hunger Games has also been translated into 26 different languages. Also not too shabby. Mm-mm. Collins has said that the inspiration for The Hunger Games uh, came from channel surfing on TV. On one channel, she saw people competing on a reality show, and on another, she saw footage of the invasion of Iraq. The two, quote, began to blur in this very unsettling way, and the idea for the book was formed. I was just going to mention something, and then I scrolled down and saw a note about it later, so you're going to address it. All right. The sense of loss that Collins developed through her father's service in the Vietnam War was also an influence on the story, with Katniss having lost her father at age 11, five years before the book begins. Mm -hmm. In an interview... Collins noted that the novel, quote, tackles issues like severe poverty, starvation, oppression, and the effects of war, among others. On the subject of the game's parallels with popular culture, Darren Franich of Entertainment Weekly writes that the book, quote, is an incisive satire of reality television shows and that the character of Cinna almost seems like a contestant on a fascist version of Project Runway, using Katniss's outfits as a vehicle to express potentially dangerous ideas. You haven't got the Cinna yet, probably, have you? No, I've met Oh, Cinna. you just, yeah. okay, very, yeah. Where you were the other day, you wouldn't have, but you got there. Yeah, I got there. Played by Lenny Kravitz in the movie. <laughs> I remember enjoying that a lot about the movie when I watched it the first time. The Hunger Games has received critical acclaim. In an interview for the New York Times, John Green wrote that the novel was brilliantly plotted and perfectly paced, and that the considerable length of the novel comes in Collins' convincingly detailed world-building and her memorably complex and fascinating heroine. The considerable strength of the novel. You said length. (laughs) 
So, <laughs> the considerable length, strength of the novel. Strength, yeah. <laughs> considerable strength of the novel. Okay. Yeah. However, he also noted that while allegorically rich, the book sometimes does not realize the allegorical potential that the plot has to offer and that the writing described the action and little else. Hmm. Is that the John Green? I of Hank and so. John Green fame. Yeah. <laughs> like one of those brothers. I okay. believe so. I didn't know he reviewed books for New York Times. He I does mean, every. Those fuckers do everything. Yeah, so. yeah they do. And also, when you're like a best-selling young yeah. adult novelist, you get to do that. You get to do whatever you want, yeah. <laughs> Elizabeth Bird of School Library Journal praised the novel, saying it is exciting, poignant, thoughtful, and breathtaking by turns, and called it one of the best books of 2008. Rick Reardon author of the Percy Jackson and the Olympians series, claims it is the closest thing to the perfect adventure novel he has ever read. And I had to include this. Stephanie Meyer endorsed the book on her website, saying, I was so obsessed with this book. The Hunger Games is amazing. There you go. I, that, yeah, that was both track. I You know, yeah. I can see. Because I, I will say this about The Hunger Games. I think it really does... It's one of those crossover hits where if you want to dig into it for a deeper, more interesting... Again, there's a lot of political commentary and social commentary and stuff going on in The Hunger Games that you can enjoy. But you can also just, like, read it as, like, you know, like a crazy, like, adventure, you know, uh, war. There's no war specifically in this one, but... It's like a, a zany sci-fi, not zany. I don't even know the word I'm looking for, but like th- this like sort of outlandish mm-hmm. um, setting and 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 uh, contrivance for the story. If you don't look, if you don't think about like what right. it's saying, if you're just like, wow, this is wild. These people get picked <laughs> to go fight to death in a ring. These kids do. I'm like six chapters in and I feel like you would have to be yes. really obtuse. I'm saying <laughs> but I agree, but you could just I think it yeah. still just works on a base level like, you know, the writing is compelling enough on its own mm-hmm. that you can just enjoy it without thinking too like much as about a story. it as a story without yeah. considering. I mean, again, you'd have to be like trying not to yeah to pick up on the the messaging but still and my last note here similarities of the hunger games to um this is the one i koshun yeah i don't know how to pronounce 1999 novel battle royale have been noted yeah uh collins has stated that she had never heard of that book or that author until my book was turned in Um, Susan Dominus of the New York Times reported that the parallels are striking enough that Collins' work has been savaged on the blogosphere as a bald-faced ripoff of Battle Royale, but argued that there are enough possible sources for the plotline that the two authors might well have hit on the same basic setup independently. I have not read or seen, there's a movie also Mm -hmm. based on Battle Royale, uh, and I've not seen or read. And I remember originally finding that out and being like, wow. And reading like the synopsis of Battle Royale mm-hmm. on like Wikipedia or whatever. And thinking it did seem rather compelling that it had been she had pulled some inspiration. But in retrospect, again, having not read Battle Royale, this the the idea isn't that like. I mean, I think the basic concept isn't that, like, I could see how you could hit on that without, especially, 
And like, you know, she mentioned. I mean, gladiatorial games have existed forever. Yeah. And I saw once you hit gladiatorial, once you're like, okay, gladiatorial games, I'm going to do that. And there's a government that makes kids do gladiatorial. That's not that like outlandish of a of a leap of a leap to like come up with. No. And I mentioned earlier that she this idea that she was like channel surfing between reality TV and the invasion of Iraq, which, you know, I'm assuming she was writing this during the early to mid 2000s. And buddy, I don't know how well we all remember, but reality TV during that time period was wild. Yeah. It was a lawless wasteland out there. Yeah. Like, so, you know, I don't think it's that much of a stretch to have been looking at what the offerings were at that time and to hit on this idea. Yeah. And now there may be specific details that make it more damning or less. I don't Mm -hmm. know. There may be some like, you know, weird little details that it's like, okay, well, how does that, (laughs) how do these two things match up and you didn't? Okay. But I don't, I don't know about that. So I I haven't looked at, but just the, the, the broad premise, um, and, and sort of the, you know, some of the broad strokes of it, it doesn't strike me as outlandish that yeah. just two people would just come up with that idea, like on their own. It's not that weird to me. All right. Let's go ahead now and learn a little bit about The Hunger Games, the film. And so it was decreed that each year the 12 districts of Pan Am shall offer up in tribute one young man and woman between the ages of 12 and 18 to be trained in the art of survival and to be prepared to fight to the death. This is the time to show them everything. Make sure they remember you. I just keep wishing I could think of a way to show them that they don't own me. If I'm gonna die, I wanna still be me. I just can't afford to think like that. The Hunger Games is a 2012 film directed by Gary Ross, uh, known for Pleasantville, Ocean's 8, and Seabiscuit, and written by Gary Ross, Suzanne Collins, which this is fun. I didn't know this. She wrote for TV shows, mm-hmm. including Little Bear and three episodes of Clarissa Explains It All. Interesting. And Billy Ray, uh, who wrote on Captain Phillips, Richard Jewell, and Flight Plan. That makes me want, like, an SNL-style parody called Katniss Explains It All. Katniss Explains <laughs> Yeah. That could be fun. Yeah, she, like, <laughs> stops and talks to the camera. Yeah. The film stars Jennifer Lawrence, Josh Hutcherson, Liam Hemsworth, Woody Harrelson, Elizabeth Banks, Lenny Kravitz, Stanley Tucci, Donald Sutherland, Wes Bentley, Toby Jones, Amanda Amanda Stenberg, and Willow Shields. The film has an 84% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. It has a 68% on Metacritic and a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb. It was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Song, that uh, Taylor Swift, like oh. she wrote like a right. song for it. Uh, and it and it was nominated for a Hugo for Best Dramatic Presentation Long Form, which I believe is what um, something we just did one recently. I mentioned not Radio Free Album. That there was what was what's a, what are recent things we did? My mind is blanking completely. Uh, there was something that we did recently. Oh, Princess Bride. Oh, literally the last episode won a Hugo for like best. Fin- yeah, won a Hugo okay. award. I'm pretty sure. Um. And it was also nominated for and won a ton of like 
Children and Teen Awards, mm-hmm. like MTV, like. I mean, this was this was big. Oh, it was huge. Yeah, but but it didn't get it didn't get any Academy Award nominations, mm-hmm. and it only got one Golden Globe, and it was for a song. So it wasn't you know because a lot of times big Snobs. movies sometimes big movies like this will get a couple yeah. like technical little nods or something, know, couple little awards at the Academy Awards or something, but not this first one. I don't think any of them did, but I don't know. In March 2009, Lionsgate entered into an agreement to produce uh, the movie along with Color Force, who had acquired worldwide distribution rights to the novel. They paid Lionsgate paid $200,000 or $200,000 in order to purchase the rights uh, to produce the film. And then they went all in. They raided their budgets and they sold a bunch of assets to secure $88 million for the budget for this movie. Uh, Suzanne Collins, as we mentioned, adapted the screenplay herself in collaboration with Billy Ray and Gary Ross. And this is interesting. One major decision that they made early on was to expand Seneca Crane's role uh, and the Game Center's role in the film. So Seneca Crane is not actually in the first book. He's not mentioned in the first book. Or he might be mentioned maybe once, but I, I think I read that he's not mentioned He's I actually I, okay. I was gonna say I haven't gotten to that character he's yet, not, but I guess I wouldn't. He's not in it. He's he's in it. He's mentioned in, in the second book, in 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 like retrospect hmm. about the first book, and they decided to take his character, which is alluded to in the second book, mm-hmm. as playing a role in the first book, but we never see it because it's all from a first person perspective. Right. They move it. We actually get stuff. He's the game master. He's the person who controls the hunger games. Okay. And, uh, so we actually see stuff from his perspective. They decided to, uh, expand his role and the game center's role in the film. That way, uh, in, in the book, we're listening to Katniss sort of speculate about what they're doing during the games. And they thought that that it would make more sense in the movie to just show what was happening Mm -hmm. in the game center. So yeah, yeah, I think that does make more sense. Yeah. Um, so this is going to be interesting. Roughly 30 actresses auditioned for the role of Katniss Everdeen. Katie, before we reveal these, I would like you to <laughs> guess at least a couple tries at who you who else you think may have auditioned for the role before it, it went to Jennifer Lawrence. Um, probably not because she was busy with another young adult franchise. But I mean, Kristen Stewart. Kristen was Stewart. Okay. A big name at the time. Big name, but yeah, a little busy. A little busy. Um, Anna Kendrick. Anna Kendrick. <laughs> Coming off of also my, a little Twilight. Busy. A little less busy. Train of th- yeah, a little less busy. A little less busy. Um, gosh, who was even popular at this time? Emily Browning? Ooh, interesting. Um, I love her. Okay. I would want her to be in more stuff. Um... I'll throw a shot in the dark and say Taylor Swift auditioned oh, for it. Oh, auditioned and has landed with the backup role of doing a song <laughs> for it. <laughs> um, see, everybody I'm thinking of, I feel like, is maybe too old, but it's yeah. Hollywood, so maybe not. Mm-hmm. Um, Zoe Deschanel? I don't oh, know. Oh, that's really interesting. That would be fun. Are any of these even Zoe on Deschanel. this list? I don't remember. I, I know... <laughs> I think you got it at one. I think you got one. Uh, do you want to speculate at which one you got right? Because <laughs> you got no. one for sure, I remember. Because <laughs> I had this blacked out, so now I have to go in here and highlight it and uh, reveal it for myself so that I can see it. Okay. So, the one you got was Emily Browning. Nice. 
she did audition. The other people, Haley Steinfeld or Steinfeld. Okay. okay. Abigail Breslin. Okay. Emma Roberts. Oh, I didn't even think of her. That makes perfect this sense. This next one will make a lot of sense. Sorsha Ronan. Oh, yeah, yeah, this yeah. This is right around yeah. the time that, uh, or right before or after uh, the, the, the guest or, or whatever, not the guest, um, um. The, whatever that other uh, <laughs> Stephanie Meyer book was. Oh, the host. The host, not the guest. <laughs> the guest. <laughs> Chloe Grace Moretz. Okay, yeah. Jodelle Furland, speaking of Dark Matter, she oh. plays five or whatever in Dark mm-hmm. Matter. Uh, Lindsay Fonseca, who I'm not sure who that is. Yeah, Emily Browning. Is. Shailene Woodley. Okay. I don't know who this next person is. Or actually, I don't know who these last two people are. Kea Scalario and Troyan Bel- Belisario. Troyan Belisario, I believe, was She's on from Pretty, Pretty Little, Little Liars. Liars. I did yeah. look that up. I don't know who Kayla Scalario yeah, is. Yeah, I don't yes, know her off the top of my head. She was from Pretty Little Liars, but... Yeah, Emily Browning, you nailed. Um, I thought you might have landed on Sorcerer Ronan. I thought that was the other one. Or Emma Roberts. Those were the two. I was like, yeah, you might hit one of those. I was, like, trying to think of actresses, and all I could think of were, like, slightly too old actresses. Yeah, like Emma Stone. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Like, I, like, like, was, like, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, director Carrie Ross described Jennifer Lawrence, uh, like I said, they did eventually land on Jennifer Lawrence, described her as having, quote, an incredible amount of self-assuredness. You get the sense that the girl knew exactly who she was, and when she came in and read for me and it just knocked me out, I've never seen on, a, on a, an audition like that before in my life. It was one of those things where you just glimpse your whole movie in front of you. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence was 20 at the time when filming began, so a little too old for the mm-hmm. role because uh, Katniss Everdeen is 16 in the book. But uh, Suzanne Collins said that she felt that this worked for the role because the role needed, quote, a certain maturity and power and would prefer the actress actually be older than the role as opposed to younger, uh, going on to say that Lawrence had, quote, every essential quality necessary to play Katniss. And from my memory of seeing the films, I would agree with that. I thought she was pretty much a spot or from seeing the first movie. I don't know why I never watched. I think I didn't watch any of these sequels because I didn't like the books that much. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I, I did really enjoy the first uh, book and I remember thinking the movie did pretty, like I remember being like, yeah, it was a pretty good adaptation. Like, especially at, cause that was at a time back then too, when I was like, not as good at, understanding mm-hmm. how films were adapted yeah. you know what i mean like i where i was <laughs> not much as generous m- not as generous <laughs> i was much more in the camp of it's not the same as the book yeah eh, like that kind of yeah so other options for Peter malark included alexander ludwig uh which is interesting random coincidence he's bjorn in vikings show hmm. we're watching currently uh he's also in the hunker games he plays kato which is one of the uh, like, like district one or district two or one of the one of the big oh, he's in this movie yes. as a different character. Yes, okay. he, he auditioned for PETA, didn't get the role, but he ended up gotcha. getting uh, Kato, who's Gotta... one of the he's one of the uh, the the guys from one of the districts where he like volunteered, like, gotcha. like one of the big like rich districts or whatever. Uh, da, 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 Hunter Parrish, Lucas Till, and Evan Peters. Other Gale hopefuls, uh, uh, other than Liam Hensworth, who we landed on, were David Henry, Drew Roy, and Robbie Amell. I don't know who hmm. those first two are, but Robbie Amell David is... Henry, I believe, was on Wizards of Waverly Place. Okay. And I feel like he's a little nerdy to be Gale. To be Gale. Okay. Uh, at one point, Haymitch, uh, Haymitch, who is the, the coach mm-hmm. or whatever, the past winner from District 12, uh, played by Woody Harrelson in the film, 
at one point, John C. Riley was in talks to play Hamish, which mm-hmm. I, I could see. I could see it working. I think Woody Harrelson makes more sense, but <laughs> I could see John C. Riley. John C. Riley's a little too silly. Yeah. Woody Harrelson has a little more like, like uh, he's just a little darker. He has a, a an air of like he's kind of silly. Yeah. But he also has an air of. Of turmoil uh, and yeah, darkness turmoil, to him that almo- I don't almost menace, but yeah. not quite. Yeah. And I don't want to say John C. Rowley can't do that, because I'm sure he can. I know he's done it in movies, but yeah, Woody Harrelson feels real real spot on for mm-hmm. Hamish. Uh so this is random but fun. All three of the 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 main uh the love triangle, for lack of a better phrase, uh Peta, Katniss, and Gail. Uh, all dyed their hair for the film, and this is funny. Liam and Lawrence, or uh, Liam Hemsworth and Jennifer Lawrence, both have blonde hair naturally and had to dye their hair brown. Mm-hmm. And Josh Hutcherson has brown hair naturally and had to dye his hair blonde. So there you go. Rip everyone's hair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence trained for six weeks to learn uh, archery, rock, and tree climbing, combat, and parkour nice. for the film. Uh, the movie was filmed in North Carolina over the course of about four months from May 2011 to September of 2011. And this is a really random fact that I had no idea. Steven Soderbergh saved his, served as the second unit director, and he filmed most of the District 11 riot, uh, District 11 riot scene, which happens hmm. towards the end, um, or in the middle end-ish of the book. And I thought it was really interesting that Steven Soderbergh would be a second unit director. He's done Ocean's yeah, Eleven at this point. He's... He, well, this is so around the got same a time. Very heavy hitter to be yes. the second unit. This is almost director. the exact same time he was doing uh, uh, the movie we did, Contagion. Like yeah. he did Contagion, and this is like <laughs> that was 2010, right, or 2011 or something. It was like right around the same time. This is really interesting. Maybe he was in the area. Maybe yeah. Maybe they filmed Contagion <laughs> like in North Carolina. Or something. It was very strange that he would like yeah bring in because he's a much bigger name than Gary Ross is. Yeah. Like I, I don't know. It's wild to me. Maybe he just really liked the book and was like, oh, and I can't do the whole movie, but I'll, you know, you want me to do, I'll direct something. Uh, so for the District 12 setting, uh, it's a it's a poor uh, mining town mm-hmm. in the in the book. Uh, they actually used a real poor mining town in North Carolina called Fantastic. Henry River Mill <laughs> Village. Well, an abandoned uh, mill town, not mining town. Uh, it was it's an abandoned mining or mill town that was originally built in 1905 as a planned community. It actually has a had a company store, which if you know anything about the history of company stores, ties in very well to sort of the dystopic yeah. uh, nature of, of the District 12. Um, company stores is, is a place where you essentially, in these towns that had company stores, everybody in the town worked for the company, and the company also owned the store, and so you essentially... They controlled the prices for the products, mm-hmm. and they controlled how much they were paying you. So they essentially controlled your entire life, just this one company, whoever you're working for. Uh, go read about company stores and company towns and mining towns and all that's terrifying and horrible. And But uh, this is also now a tourist destination. You can actually go visit uh, Henry River Mill Village Uh and it's primarily a tourist destination because of the Hunger Games. Right. Uh, it has a remodeled cabin that you can rent for like 300 bucks a night and stay. It's like a, it's very funny because it's like this, you know, the whole town is like this rundown, like ninth, turn of the century, like mill town. Mm-hmm. And all the buildings look like they did in the Hunger Games, kind of like falling apart. And then there's like this one, like it looks like an Airbnb, you know, like it's yeah. 
you look, the pictures on the inside it's got like you know like rustic like steel clawfoot tub and like it's, it just looks like every airbnb listing ever um but also it's a wedding venue babe we could get married in district 12 we could get we could have a hunger games wedding yes and, it, and at the end of the ceremony, they say Marianne's being ever It's perfect. It makes perfect sense. Uh, this is random but funny. So now we're entering the IMDb facts, but I, I got to run down a couple of them because I thought they were funny. There was a swear jar on set, uh, apparently, uh, and uh, Jennifer Lawrence contributed the most amount of money to it. So good for her. Uh, while horsing around on set one day, apparently Jennifer Lawrence accidentally kicked Josh Hutcherson in the head and knocked him out and gave him a concussion. That sounds like good casting. Yep. Spot on. <laughs> uh, Donald Sutherland apparently lobbied hard for the role of the president after he read the script. And apparently he wasn't supposed to read the script. It somehow ended up on his desk or something. Mm. And he was just read it. And uh, it reminded him of Stanley Kubrick's Paths of Glory. Uh, and he wrote a letter to Gary Ross pleading with him that he should be cast as the president and uh, was feel like you don't turn down donald sutherland no, if he no, wants to be in your movie absolutely not so the four note melody that katniss uses as her signal with rue and that plays through all the songs in the trailers uh is g b flat a and d for you music that's people like out there. the mockingbird yeah or the mocking jay or whatever that, yeah. yeah whatever that oh, was that was really good babe good job was that it i don't remember yeah, i actually I haven't so. watched the trailer it's in a while i was just going off memory i think it is that but i can like barely like, whistle so i think those are the notes. yeah g from b von andy yeah that's pretty dang close pretty close uh, co-writer and director Gary Ross uh, has stated that his decision to go with the shaky cam, which is a big part of the thing some people complained about quite a bit because it's a very shaky cam. And we mm. talked about shaky cam in the Bourne movie. It's not quite as effective here, but he did have at least a reason for choosing to go with shaky cam. Um, one, he said it had a lot to do with the urgency of what's going on and to reflect Katniss's point of view being thrust into this like you know, yeah. chaotic situation. Um, but he also mentioned that he wanted to avoid a polished static camera look because he thought that this would reduce the violence to like entertainment. And that was completely contrary to the movie's intention. He didn't yeah. want the violence to be spectacle. He mm -hmm. wanted it to be this like horrible, like again, chaotic thing, which makes a lot of sense um, because that's kind of the whole point. Yeah. <laughs> and so like doing it as a spectacle, although I think you still could do that there's a way maybe to do it as spectacle and then like also hold the mirror up to the to the yeah. audience and go look you're you're them you're 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 the spectator, you're the spectator. maybe but at the same time there's you can still critique it from the sense of like yeah but you're still doing the spectacle so i, right. I you know it's tough to do I, I i think i this is probably the way that makes the most sense to go about doing it it's just like yeah the point is that this is terrible um, so let's not make it into like a an entertaining spectacle. So this is really random, but really funny. This is the second movie in two years. Winter's Bone came out in 2010, mm. in which Jennifer Lawrence plays a character who feeds her destitute family a squirrel. You're right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> random, but fun. Isn't Winter's Bone set here in our home state? Is it? I, really I actually don't know. I've never seen it. I don't really know anything about it other than she was like nominated for an Oscar or something. For I'm it, pretty but. sure. I think, well, I think or it's won like the Oscar. Maybe I don't know. I think she did win. I think it's like in the Ozarks maybe, but I think it might be the Ozarks. I think you're right. That. 
Uh, so Willem scream check. Uh, there's a Willem scream that you can look out for as you're watching the film. Uh, at one point, Katniss cuts off a tree branch and a nest of tree uh, tracker jackers fall onto some of the people. Mm-hmm. And there's a Willem scream there. So look out for that. Real quick. Winter's bone is set in the rural Ozarks of Missouri. There you go. Just a mere few hours where I used to vacation as a boy. Yes. So uh, the film would ultimately earn $408 million U.S., $694 million worldwide, which makes it the 22nd highest grossing film of all time, I believe, uh, or at least at the time. Uh, and it was this is really interesting. It was the first film not released by a big six studio. And the big six studios are 20th Century Fox, Disney, Paramount, Warner Brothers, Columbia or Universal. First uh, film not released by one of those to gross over $400 million. So Lionsgate really, when they went to the the budget slashing and the asset rating, they Mm -hmm. really made the right call on that one. (laughs) Uh, This is funny. I had to include, so I got a a couple reviews and one of them that I thought was funny just because it's, 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 uh, I'll just read it. (laughs) Justin Craig of Fox News rated the film as, Excellent and stated, move over, Harry Potter. A darker, more mature franchise has come to claim your throne, which is, boy, that person deserves to be writing for Fox News. That's all (laughs) I'm going to say about that review. But (laughs) I feel like we're working off of the erroneous idea that fantasy can't be mature. Yeah. Here. Well, and just also, I just... I don't know. Everything about that sentence makes me my eyes roll into my my head. Move over, Harry Potter. I also feel like Twilight is the more topical thing to compare it to at the time, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, the last Harry Potter movie came out 2011-ish, 2012, something like that. I mean, sure, but Twilight was also coming out at that time. Yeah, yeah. And to me, Twilight is the more apt comparison because of the, like, love triangle aspect, but whatever. Whatever. Uh, And then finally, I always love to include my Roger Ebert reviews. Uh, Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times gave the film three out of four stars, praising the movie as, quote, effective entertainment. And he uh, also praised Lawrence's performance as, or sorry, and also praised Lawrence's performance. Uh, And but despite his largely positive review, he went on to criticize the film for being, quote, too long and noted that the film misses opportunities for social criticism. So we'll Did have to he see. not see the shaky cam? <laughs> I don't know if he knew the the nece- uh, the reason behind the shaky cam. Um, and there's a chance that maybe it does miss some chance. I, I I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the social criticism so far. I'm five chapters into re- rereading the first book, and the social criticism is inherent. Yes. In the text, like it's not. Yes. It doesn't. So far, it's not going out of its way to like say critical things but it's very obvious yeah what the criticism is and it's you know like okay this is interesting to me that maybe the movie just less so but who knows we'll we'll we'll, we'll get there when we get there where can you watch the hunger games as always check your local library or if you have a local video rental store check with them you can stream it with ads on the roku channel or pluto tv or you can stream it with a subscription on TNT, TBS, Spectrum TV, or True TV. So I assume mm, those are all cable networks, mm-hmm. or well, Spectrum is a cable provider. Um, if you have a cable provider or Dish or something, you can probably get it through one of those. Yeah, that's what it sounds like to yeah, me. Yeah, through one of those uh, networks. Or you can rent it for 2 to $4 on Redbox, Apple TV, Amazon, YouTube, Vudu, DirecTV, AMC Theater, On Demand, 
or Alamo on demand. Alamo Draft House has their own apparently streaming service. Yeah. I assume that's what Alamo on demand is, unless yeah. the well, Alamo. Well, when I set their... up, because I've been using that um, Next Watch mm-hmm. app, and when I set it up, I just selected all of the things. There you go. Instead of selecting like the things that I have, like a normal human. Right. Yeah. All right, that's it for the prequel episode. Uh, one week's time, we'll be discussing The Hunger Games. Just The Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. That's what the first one's called. Yeah. It's The Hunger Games series, but the first one's just called The Hunger Games. Uh, and uh, it's going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm enjoying the book so far. I'm, like I said, five chapters in. I'm very much looking forward to this. Uh, these are books that I missed out on the first time around. This is gonna be really. That's going to be really yeah. interesting because, yeah, you never read them. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we'll be able to do a prediction one because I think I might know too much about really what like some of the stuff that happens. I feel like I try. know so li- I feel like I remember. It's funny to me because I read them and I remember so little. It's wild to me <laughs> that you didn't read um, them and think you might know. I think I might know like enough stuff that happens because I was on Tumblr while these were oh, big. Yeah, uh, that would be the reason. Uh, Another thing that I want to mention that I'm excited about that we are planning to do as a tandem content with this, and we haven't discussed yet, I would like to maybe put this on Patreon first. Okay. Is uh, you teaching me how to shoot a bow and arrow? You say me teaching you how (laughs) as if I know how to shoot a bow and arrow. You know more than I do. I yeah we we do we picked up some uh I did shoot bows and arrows as a child but I never learned how to okay. do it properly. Well you relearning and me learning yes. for the first time. That could be yeah we could we did pick up uh we went and grabbed some bows and arrows from my uh my parents house and uh we we're going to shoot them in the backyard so maybe we can learn together cuz like I said I I vaguely know the 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 idea of it but I don't actually know how to do it right. So um, so we'll be we'll be doing that. We'll be getting some footage of that. Yeah, uh-huh. we have some footage that we'll share at some point from the yeah. Ren Fair that we went to. We, there was a, an arrow range there, and we were shooting some arrows for fun. So uh, look out for that on Patreon uh, at the five dollar and up level. It'll probably just be some short little videos or something. Um, but yeah, that'll be fun. So look out for that. And in one week's time, come back talking about the Hunger Games. Until that time, guys, gals, non-binary pals, and everybody else, keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And and keep keep being awesome. awesome.